Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. I am Sam Rosenberg. Today is Wednesday, May 9th, 2018. And I'm getting ready for tonight's uh, Game 5 between the Celtics and the Sixers. Newsflash, everybody. The situation is right now that uh, the Sixers are down three games to one. Um, though everyone was saying not too long ago, only a week or so ago, how heavily favored the Sixers were over the Celtics, how they were ready to just walk them right into the NBA Finals. I was one of them. I was talking about it. I, I'm not going to lie. I was definitely in there. Um, the truth is they are now very, very, very close to being eliminated. Um, they were down 3-0 to this Celtic team. Uh, they, you know, and really it was the excitement of, uh, TJ McConnell that was really able to actually, um, you know, come out and win this game in game four. Let's just, let's just pick this apart, man. We got to talk about this series because essentially the Sixers hit a brick wall with the Celtics. Okay. I think without Irving and Hayward, everybody was like, well, this team is not really going to be able to stop the juggernaut that is the Sixers considering how hot they were, but Brad Stevens, he coached them right out of their seats, coached them right off the, the floor. Uh, because game one, listen, I'm going to look back at game one and I'm going to say, I, I said it last week on the podcast, Sixers got kicked in the teeth, okay? They didn't come to play. They, you know, the, the Celtics, you know, surprised them, got on top of them, blew them off the, blew them off the floor. Okay. But you got to look at games two and three because both of those games, the Sixers were in it all the way up till the end. And there were some costly mistakes at the end that really, you know, cost them these games. Let's talk about game two. Now we got to focus on Simmons. Because Ben Simmons was really the talk of the town coming into this series, and Boston has found a way to truly limit him. And not just limit him uh, from a statistical perspective, but limit him for really from an all-around game-changing perspective. Because one of the issues with guarding Ben Simmons with his lack of a jump shot was the fact that if you got too close to him, he would then pass, he would look over and pass the ball. If you got too far away from him, he'd drive like a freight train and just dunk it on you. Boston was essentially giving him just enough room so that he couldn't really pass the ball, but he also couldn't get ahead of steam. And whenever he tried to get ahead of steam, they'd bring another defender onto him and he'd have to pass the ball. And it would get to a situation where he wasn't able to shoot because of his lack of shooting ability. He wasn't a threat from that perspective. And then with Boston being able to shut him down from a passing perspective, it really stunted the whole offense. And so you got into situations where Simmons was walking the ball up the court, passing it to Bellinelli or whomever, and then just trotting down to the low block and kind of waiting there. And then you're lacking a facilitator. You've got guys like Bellinelli, uh, J.J. Redick having to facilitate the play or just throw it down low to Joel Embiid, which is fine. But if you let Joel Embiid post up all series, you're not going to really... I feel like the Celtics are ready to give Joel Embiid all of that space. Like, let him, it's the Shaq method. Let him score 30 and 20 and then just shut down the rest of the team. So... This is my opinion, okay? With Simmons being sort of marginalized by the Celtics' defense in Game 2, okay, the first time this, the Sixers got kicked in the teeth, Game 2, they had a legitimate chance to win this game. And my opinion is that TJ McConnell was the difference maker. He was the, he was the stir that, that, that you know, made the Kool-Aid delicious, okay? He made everything go. When he came into the game in Game 2, and I'm going to say this till the end of time, 
the Sixers were losing, and he actually brought them back into the game, and he brought them back, and they ended up taking the lead, and then Brett Brown benches him, puts Ben Simmons out there, and listen, it was not all Ben Simmons' fault, but I do think he was a major reason why the Sixers were not able to hang on to the lead and ended up losing the game, going down 0-2 and going back to Philadelphia. Now, Game three is a whole other d- discussion because game three, the Sixers had opportunities to win this game. They made two or three of the most boneheaded plays that you could ever think of to close a playoff game. There was a couple of inbound pass by Ben Simmons that were stolen by the Celtics. There was the uh, Ben Simmons pass um, to he gives it. It was another situation where he walks the ball up the court, gives it to JJ Redick. Redick thought he was going to pass it right back to him. Instead, Simmons cuts to the basket, and it's a quick, easy turnover. Celtics take it back down the floor and score. Like either these were moments, just mental fart, brain fart moments, which are absolutely inexcusable. It's moments where it's like, you know what? You guys deserve to lose. You made a mistake in one of the most crucial moments of the game. You deserve to lose the game. But. I still think McConnell could have saved them in both of these games, and I think it's malpractice on Brett Brown that he didn't put him in the game. Do I think it's a reason to fire Brett Brown? No, I don't. But I do think that when McConnell was winning that game in Game 2, you leave him in the game, they probably would have built enough of a lead and gotten out of that game and and come home 1-1. But instead, he had to roll with Simmons. It was sort of like, it's almost like sacrilegious to leave Simmons on the bench and to leave McConnell out there. But the truth was, it was working. But instead, he benches McConnell, he puts Simmons back out there, the the offense slows back down, and all of a sudden, you know, they're losing again. And just, they can't figure out how the hell to find a shot when Simmons is on the floor. And they can when McConnell's on the floor. Because when McConnell goes back out there, he runs around, he facilitates the offense. He's been playing in Brett Brown's offense for three, four seasons now. He knows what the fuck to do to make this offense go. And so when he was out there, he actually made the team look like how they should look offensively. They're moving, they're cutting, they're getting, you know, J.J. Redick open off the curl. They're getting, you know slashers and cutters that you can pass the ball to. And then on the defensive side of the ball, the Sixers, I'm not saying they've been fine, but that hasn't really been their problem. I mean, defensively, they've still been able to lock down on this Celtics team. That's why every single one of these games, it's a close two-point, three-point game at the end because defensively, they are able to shut down this. That's where the lack of Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward really comes out. Because defensively, when the Sixers have been cranking it up, you know, the the stellar shooting from Terry Rozier in game one really does kind of get minimized just enough that they're able to kind of get and keep the game within reach. Um, now, uh, the, the the other thing I got him is, is TJ McConnell. Another positive about having him play the point is that then Ben Simmons gets to function as a post player. He gets to drive and cut and post up, which are things that I actually think he excels at, but yet he still wants to play point all the time. Not saying it's bad for him to play point, but there are key moments where if you're going to have McConnell and Simmons on the floor together, have McConnell be the point and don't have Simmons be the point. Because every time Simmons is on the floor, he naturally goes to play the point guard, and I don't think it's the best choice all the time. That's just my thought. I Now... Few other things to mention about the Sixers. Embiid has been great, except at the end of games. His defense has has there's been a there's a couple of games where you can look back and there's some defensive possessions at the end of the games where it's on Embiid, he misses his assignment, and the truth is it's fatigue. It's a real moment where you have to sit back and say, you know, Joel Embiid has never truly played a full NBA season, and I think conditioning is coming in. 
Now, two, three years from now, maybe that's not the case. But right now, at the end of some of these games, there was a few moments where Embiid looked fatigued. And it it mattered defensively because there were moments when they really, really needed him. And he kind of just sort of, you know, made a few defensive mistakes. And all of a sudden, the game was out of reach. I mean, it was just something where... It's another factor playing into why the Sixers have struggled against this Celtics team. The Another big factor, and I hate to say it, is, is Saric and Covington. Saric has disappeared. He showed up in Game 5, scored 25 points, played fantastic, but he's really been a non-factor in the first four games, of the, in the first three games of the series, and they missed him dearly. And it wasn't just his offense, it was his defense as well. He seemed to be the only guy who was hustling out there, and I don't know what the hell's going on, but the refs don't ever seem to call anything for him. And then on top of that, Covington. Covington, who has been such a fantastic defensive player all season, has really been a little eh when it comes defensively in this series. And aside from game two, where he led the team in scoring at 22 points, he's been atrocious shooting the ball from the field. My brother has been telling me day after day after day, he's going, my brother Dan is going to these Sixers games live. And he's saying, my God, can Covington just stop jacking threes with 20 seconds left in the shot clock? And you know what? I can't argue with him. It's because there's a few moments where it's like, yeah, Covington had the look. He had a little room. You want a shooter to shoot. But I mean, it was a real moment where it's like, there's 20 seconds left in the shot clock. There's probably a better play here. There's probably another pass you could have gotten out of that. So two guys, Saric and Covington, who the Sixers have been relying heavily on, you know, kind of hurt them a little bit earlier in the series. Whereas I thought they showed up and were great in game four. Game four was a perfect example of how this Sixers team should play, can play, and sh- and if they want to do it that way, they can win. Like if they replicate that over the next few games, I really do see them making this more of a series. I don't think they're going to lose tonight. I think they can go into Boston and actually beat them. If they use McConnell as much as they used him, I mean, they had McConnell play 39 minutes in game four. It was like, it was like it, it felt like a miracle, but at the same time, I'm sitting there screaming, why the fuck weren't they doing this in Game 2 and Game 3? Why the hell were you just continuing to trot the same formula out there when you saw that it didn't work in Game 2? When you saw that it didn't... I mean, I just... McConnell seemed to be a secret weapon, and it felt like, why the fuck did we wait till Game 4 to unlock him? I'm just saying. I'm calling it out. I'm throwing it out there. <sighs> so, I don't... I mean... I still have faith that the Sixers can truly do this. I think it'll be the biggest upset ever to come back from 3-0, but it's hard to swallow that pill. I'm going to hold out for them. I will continue to, I will close this podcast by saying that I will hold out the torch for the Sixers, but I'm definitely, it's hard to swallow because I do think they, there's a real chance that uh, they're not going to come out of this series. Um, Talking about the Celtics real quick, Jason Tatum's fantastic. He is absolutely 100% fantastic, ready for prime time right now. He's a two-way player. He's amazing offensively. He's amazing defensively. Far and away, the best playmaker and the best player on their team right now. Um, head and shoulders fucking better than Markel Fultz. Uh, we, we know right now that the Celtics won that trade, for Christ's sakes. Um, and, you know, he is somebody who, as much as we've tried to limit him and slow him down, He's going to be a star in this league. And when you think about putting Hayward and Kyrie Irving on that team next year, holy fucking shit, this Celtics team is going to be causing havoc for years. I don't. Th- I think this is year one of many years where the Celtics and the Sixers are smashing each other in the head in the playoffs. Um, Al Horford has been fantastic. You want to talk about a guy who, you know, where f- experience, veteran leadership, 
um, playoff experience. All of this is coming in with Horford, where Joel Embiid is failing with experience. Horford is excelling. He knows how to guard him. He knows how to, you know, kind of aggravate him in just the right ways. And at the same time, Horford knows how to make key plays at the end of games and not make critical mistakes where the Sixers have been making them. I mean, the play of Horford has been, in my opinion, extremely underrated. He's been fantastic. And the other guy is Terry Rozier. I mean, Terry Rozier played out of his mind in game one. And I think one of the major reasons that he hasn't been completely ridiculously over-the-top fantastic in games two, three, and four is McConnell. McConnell, the defense TJ McConnell brings is inexcusable. It's, it's undeniable how much he irritates Terry Rozier. Like, TJ McConnell's presence alone was enough to minimize Terry Rozier. Whereas Simmons and all the other guys we were throwing on Terry Rozier couldn't fucking handle him. Whereas TJ McConnell comes out and is able to make Rozier look again like a backup point guard instead of fucking Chris Paul, which he's looked like for the whole playoffs up until now. The other guys to really, you got to nail on is, is the rest of the Celtics role players. Marcus Morris, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Aaron Baines, all of them have been stepping up. Jalen Brown's playing through a hamstring injury. Marcus Smart is playing through that wrist, ankle, that ligament injury. Aaron Baines is hitting threes and doing his best to deal with Joel Embiid. I mean, they are throwing everything in the kitchen sink at this Sixer team. And I still think that if McConnell had played more in this series, it would be more of a series. It would be 2-2. It would be... 3-1 Sixers something, but instead the Sixers have got to dig themselves out of a hole. Tip-off is in an hour in Boston. Um, I think everyone's still picking the Celtics to come out of this series, but I just, I'm going to hold that torch for the Sixers. Um, but they've seriously got to think about this Simmons thing moving forward because Simmons has been, a, he has been a detriment to this Sixer team. I'm going to say it. I'm not saying he's a huge detriment. I'm just saying in critical game situations, there are moments where it is more effective to have TJ McConnell running your point than Ben Simmons. That might be a different discussion two years, three years, four, five, six years from now when Simmons is a fucking freak show and dominating this league like Magic Johnson or LeBron James. But right now, in his rookie season... He's not ready for prime time, okay? At least not against a Celtics team like this. I'm sorry everyone has to see it, and we're all seeing it on live television. I, I mean, listen, I'm just putting it out there, okay? And, you know, I was just listening to Kevin O'Connor on the Ringer NBA show talking the other day. If you look at LeBron James's rookie year, or the first year he made it to the playoffs, it's a very different player. And I think we'll say the same thing when we look at Ben Simmons' rookie year in the playoffs years, 10 years from now. But the truth is, right now... He's not ready for prime time, and you're getting better play out of TJ McConnell. Just going to call it. All right. Um, let's go through the rest of the playoffs before, before we get out of here. Um, LeBron James is the fucking king. He swept through the number one seeded Raptors like they were like a hot knife through butter. Um, shame, shame, shame on me for ever fucking doubting him. I've been preaching all throughout the playoffs and all throughout the regular season, this is the year the Cavaliers are going down. This is the year that this hodgepodge roster, this 29th overall defense, this thrown-together, dog-shit, dumpster-fire team that LeBron has with him in the playoffs, this is the year they're going to go down. This is the year they're not going to make it to the finals. This is the year they're finally going to come apart at the seams and LeBron's going to go home pissed. Boy, was I dead fucking wrong. LeBron James is still the king. He's still the MVP. And he's making all these other teams look like goddamn fools. Because the truth is, the Pacers gave them the biggest fucking scare 
took them to seven games. And even when they went to seven games, LeBron, over the course of those seven games, was able to put his team back together, win a couple of buzzer beaters on his by himself. And then at the end of the series, what did he tell his coaches? What did he tell his guys? He said, you know what? Give me my old guys who I know. He starts trotting Kevin Love out. He starts trotting Kyle, uh, uh, Tristan Thompson, uh, J.R. Smith, Ky- um, I was about to say Kyrie Irving, Ky- uh, Kyle Korver. You know, all these new guys, Rodney Hood, uh, uh, Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Clarkson, they're out of the rotation. I mean, Clarkson's getting it a little bit, but they are totally out of the rotation. The only new guy who's really contributing right now is George Hill. And he's playing, and he's playing pretty good minutes. But that's that seven-game series against the Pacers woke them up. And now the, the, the giant is awake because they came in and they made the Raptors look like fools. I mean, they ripped their fucking hearts out. The Raptors did every conceivable fucking thing they could to try to beat this Cavaliers team. And the Cavaliers sweep them in four fucking games. And not only do they sleep, sweep them, but Kevin Love looks fucking amazing. The last three games of this series, Kevin Love has looked better than he's ever looked at his time in Cleveland. This looks like Minnesota Timberwolves' Kevin Love. He's putting up 20, 30 points in a single game, shooting from the elbow, rebounding the ball, playing defense. I mean, why? I don't know what the hell they've been doing up until now, but how on earth have they completely not called plays or not just orchestrated opportunities for Kevin Love on this team up until now? I mean... What the hell were they doing so that they couldn't get Kevin Love to explode the way he's exploded over the last three games of this Raptor team? Because now, Kevin Love looking as good as he looks, LeBron James looking like fucking LeBron James, now, it doesn't, I mean, I'm sitting here now going, there's there's no way, Boston or Philadelphia, both of them are going to lose to this Cavs team. This Cavs team is going to walk right into the NBA Finals. I think right now, I haven't even gotten to the Western Conference yet, but it's looking like it's going to be the fourth straight fucking year of the Cavaliers and the Warriors in the Finals, which... I love and I hate. I love because it really tells you about a a real sea change for basketball, how we're shifting to this three-point world, and also these super teams with LeBron and Steph Curry are so dominant that they're just controlling the entire landscape of the NBA, and we see them in the finals every year. But at the same time, I kind of fucking hate it because then we're just seeing the same goddamn teams in the finals for four straight years. That's... I mean, I, I, I don't even really like it when I see the same teams in the finals two straight years. It's just... I don't know. It just gives me a sense of like what the hell's going on with this league. It's really just LeBron and everybody else. Um, anyway, so I think that uh, they're gonna. So LeBron and the the Cavaliers get to wait. They get to wait to see how quickly this Boston Philadelphia series plays out, and then they'll play the winner. Um, doesn't they have? They are the four seed, so they're gonna be the the under. They're gonna be the. Uh, they won't have home court for Boston or Philly. Whoever wins that series is gonna have home court. I mean, it could be Philly with home court if they end up facing. Uh, if they end up facing the Sixers. Um, but I don't think it matters. You know, I was saying that I thought, I truly thought the Sixers could beat this Cavaliers team. Not anymore. Nope. Nope. The Sixers, if they pull a miracle off and beat this Boston team, they're not beating Cleveland. You know, all of the things that they could get away with with Boston, they ain't for shit going to get away with any of that stuff with Cleveland. They'll make, I think they'll make it tough for LeBron and the Cavs, but uh, I don't think anyone's stopping Cleveland from going to the finals and winning the East. Now, Let's talk. Uh, let's jump into the Western Conference. So we saw both of the second round series end last night. Um, the Warriors beat the Pelicans in Game Five, beat them four games to one, and the Rockets beat the Jazz in five games as well. Um, so this 
this ultimate clash of the Titans that we've been waiting for all season is finally here in the Western Conference Finals. Golden State Warriors, Houston Rockets. Golden State is clearly, you know, they're on they're the king of the mountain. And Houston has been the first team really in the last three, four years to even come remotely close to threatening this Golden State Warriors team. And listen, even when the Cavaliers beat the Warriors in the finals in 2016, I still don't think people thought they were going to win. That was a 73-win Warriors team. This year, the Warriors have had injuries. They haven't played nearly as well as they have the last couple of years. Their rotation and their their guys are different now, and they struggled at the end of the season. So there was a little bit of a sense of like they're kind of they're a little weaker than normal. Whereas Houston played out of their minds, sixty win season, everything's clicking. Um, they're not the most exciting team to watch, but James Harden is essentially the MVP this year. And now you're in a situation where Houston is the team that is primed to take down the Warriors, and everybody was waiting for this matchup. Well. The Pelicans, God bless them, you know, for Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday and Rondo and all that great play, you know, Miritich, it was very exciting to see them play, but truthfully, they ran up against the Warriors, and the Warriors, they're also a sleeping giant, because they talk about they can turn the switch on and off, they turned the fucking switch on, and Steph Curry came back in game two, came off the bench and dropped 28 points, I I mean... The Warriors are back, and they're better than ever, and they're killing motherfuckers, and they just slaughtered the Pelicans team. So, great season for the Pelicans. I think they certainly overachieved a little bit. Um, Nobody was expecting to see them do what they did, but it had to come to an end against one of these, you know, these elite teams, and, uh, you know, the Warriors took care of business. Same thing with Utah. Utah, Donovan Mitchell, again, totally you know, overachieving all the expectations. No one thought they'd get this far. No one thought Donovan Mitchell was going to be what he was, what he is, and what he's going to be. He's clearly the future of the team. I mean, this team limped into the second round without Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio, who was such a key piece in that first round against the Thunder, didn't really play at all against Houston. And, you know, they gave it their best shot. But again, the Rockets are an elite team that are really, you know, if they fall or struggle with a team like Utah, that's a bit of a disappointment for their season. So, God bless Utah and New Orleans. Great seasons. You know, you really shouldn't be disappointed. You fell to powerful, powerful, powerful teams. But now we talk about the Western Conference Finals, Golden State-Houston. Houston's got the home court. Game one, I believe, is Monday night in Houston. I've been thinking about this a lot because I really want to believe and I really think that this is a real opportunity for Houston to win. It's a real opportunity for them to actually push Golden State off the top of the mountain and actually possibly win a championship. Because if they go to the finals, I still think they've got the chops to beat LeBron and the Cavaliers. I think Golden State or Houston can beat the Cavaliers. Um, But the truth is, Golden State is hot right when they need to be. And Houston, for all of their excitement, for all of their brilliance, I've started to see more chips and, and cracks in the armor over round one against Minnesota and round two against Utah than I was expecting. You know, there were opportunities and moments when Minnesota got underneath their skin. There were moments where Utah was able to exploit weaknesses. You know, Ryan Anderson's a guy who can't really stay on the floor with some of these teams. Um, you know, they really, really needed Luke and Bob Butte back. They really got good. They really got much better when he came back in the second round. But there are ways to minimize this Rockets team. And sometimes it gets to a situation where James Harden just falls in love with his step-back three-pointer, and they don't always go down. You know, it's not a surprise when you see several games where James Harden only has like 11 points and he's one for 10 at, you know, or excuse me, three for 11 at the half. You know, so this is something that scares me because as I I see us getting into a seven-game series, I'm favoring the Warriors. 
The Warriors still got the best players on the planet. Draymond Green is playing out of his fucking mind right now. Steph Curry's only getting healthier. Kevin Durant is <coughs> Kevin fucking Durant. And oh yeah, let's just throw Clay Thompson in for the mix. Um, I'm seeing the Warriors taking this. I think they're going to beat the Rockets in six. I'm saying six games. I don't think it'll be a seven-game series. I think the Warriors are taking them in six. It'll be competitive. It'll be close. But um, Warriors all the way. They're going back to the finals, and they're going to face the Cavaliers. It's going to be another year of the Warriors and the Cavaliers in the finals. I got to call it. All right, I'm going to get the hell out of here. That's uh, I'll talk more about who I think is going to win the NBA Finals uh, in a future podcast. But um, everyone, thanks a lot for listening to Sam Sports Podcast. I really appreciate it. You can subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud. You can like my Facebook page at Sam Sports Station. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. You can follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones, or you can email me at SamSportsStation at gmail.com. In the meantime, I'm going to go watch Game 5 of this Sixers game. It's starting in about 50 minutes. Um, I'm really excited. I'm still picking them to win. I think I'm going to hold this torch up. Sixers and seven. Come on, baby. Embarrass this fucking Celtic team. Come on. Come on back, baby. Anyway, enjoy the game. I'll be back uh, next week to talk more basketball. And uh, listen, as the NBA playoffs fade out, I'll start talking more about NFL as well. Got to talk about the draft. Got to talk about the Eagles. Everybody's getting back into it. Is uh, Sports is now a 365 uh, year-round thing, man. Fun doesn't stop. All right, thanks a lot for listening. I'll see you next week. Take it easy. Bye-bye.